Join me in the book of Ezra this morning as we look here at Ezra's prayer. Ezra pours out his heart to his Lord here in the book of Ezra, chapter 9. And once again, we want to be in verse 6. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6. And look at uh, Ezra's attitude of prayer and the only one that he can appeal to with the issue that is going on with him and with those around him. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6, and he said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Every word of this prayer that's recorded here in its original form, in its original language, was given by direct inspiration of God. And in many ways, when God's people are able to pray as the Spirit gives them utterance, we too are praying by God's divine inspiration. And that's how we truly want to pray, is as God gives us the words to pray, for we know not how to pray as we ought. We know that these words were divinely inspired because they're recorded in our Bible. What Ezra had to pray had first of all been given to him by God and inspired by God. God breathed in his heart and in his mind to present to God here at this time in his life. These words were chosen by the Almighty. These words were God's words for Ezra to pray to God and for us to overhear and to listen to and to learn something from. This passage that Ezra was the speaker and God gave him the words by inspiration are recorded here on purpose. Now, most real prayer is not as this recorded. It is between the individual and God, but God was pleased. Now, Ezra brings up the problem here in this verse. These words in the complete agreement with all of the word of God, and Ezra is praying in complete agreement with all of the word of God, and that is the first problem that we face is that we've been ruined by the fall. Ezra brings that up and puts himself in the same category as everyone else. That is such a blessing for us, for me to read that Ezra was so inclined to put himself where everybody else is. And we mentioned last week that Pharisee, I thank God that I'm not like other men. Ezra said, God, I am like everybody else, and I do have a problem. And he, he mentions there's a separation between people and God. And keep your finger here, would you, and turn over to the book of Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59, we find here that the prophet Isaiah speaks of the problem again, as so often throughout the Old Testament scriptures, as well as when we get into the New Testament, there is a serious problem between man and God. And this passage here in the book of Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. 
Your iniquities have separated. And that's the issue that Ezra is bringing up here in the book of Ezra chapter uh, 9 and there in verse 6 in his prayer. He recognized the fact of the problem. He recognized the fact that there was an issue. There was a separation. And by nature, we are separated from God because of our iniquities. He says there in, in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. There is a real issue. And the thing about this Ezra, this prophet of God, this uh, minister of the gospel, as he brings it out here, he is in agreement with God about his, himself and about humanity. Ezra knew this issue. For he was and had been given the truth by the new birth. He was truly a sinner. And it is only at that time that we completely realize what God's word has to say about humanity is the absolute truth. Now we'll never understand the completeness of the fall because it is lost for us to understand the completeness of Jesus Christ's suffering on the cross. We'll never gain that complete knowledge. We know that it was serious because the Son of God must come and he must give his life and his life must be a ransom. That's what we see. But to completely understand that, Ezra was revealed that his only hope was in a substitute. Now, Ezra was not an ignoramus. Number one, he'd been revealed these things by Almighty God. He did not come to the conclusion on his own. He had the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Let us not forget that Ezra is called a ready scribe. Would you look with me going back to the book of, of Ezra? Ezra chapter, chapter uh, 7, I believe it is. Ezra chapter 7. And we find in this passage of Scripture, verse 8. Well, I was very good to put the verse down, but the chapter. Chapter 6, thank you. Chapter 6. Chapter 7 and verse 6, there we go. Chapter 7 and verse 6, it says, And Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe of the law of Moses. You know what that tells me? He understood some of the things that Moses wrote in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the Lord brings out in his ministry, he said, Moses wrote of me. I am convinced as any other preacher of righteousness, as, Mo, as Noah understood, as other prophets in the Old Testament understood, and as those in the New Testament, those apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, they understood that Moses wrote of Christ. When he explained all things in the scriptures concerning himself, he covered the Pentateuch. He covered Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
But Ezra did not stop there, and neither does the Lord in the revelation of things, because once we come to the conclusion of the Pentateuch, we start up in what is commonly called the books of history. They do tell us a lot of history of Israel, and that's Joshua through Second Chronicles. And yet, in all of those passages of Scripture, we have the declaration of an absolute need of a substitute. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, for... There was a curse placed on the serpent, and God said the seed of the woman will bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel, but he'll bruise your head. The first promise that we have over promise in the scriptures about the coming of the Lord Jesus. You know what? Ezra could preach that message just like anybody else can preach it. There is someone coming that will take care of the problem. And in the book of Joshua, uh, Judges and the rest of the uh, history books, we find the same thing is true. And there in verse 9 of Ezra chapter 7, it says, And upon the first day of the month, Oh my goodness. I'm in the wrong chapter of what I want to read. Forgive me, please. Chapter, chapter 9. Go with me to chapter 9. We'll be back there in the... Uh, in just a moment. But in Ezra chapter 9, how do we know that Ezra, and in his prayer, understood the gospel? It tells us in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 8, in part of his prayer, he says, and now for this little space, grace hath been given. Ezra understood something about grace. He brings that subject up. God moved in him to know something about the grace of God. And in that verse 9, or the remainder of verse 8, he says there, and given us a, uh, leave us a remnant to escape. You know what Ezra believed? He believed in the election of grace. God's grace to a remnant shall escape. And he brings that up in his prayer. God prompted him to pray this. It's by inspiration that he prayed this. But Ezra was caused to believe this because he had something more than just moral standing with God. He had been given the new birth by the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter uh, uh, 9 and verse 9, it tells us there, For we were bondmen, yet our Father hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy. Ezra understood something about God, and he understood something about grace, and he understood something about a remnant, and he understood something about mercy. These things don't come naturally. They're given by God. Natural man and religion has changed the definition of every one of these words. And yet, from a gospel standpoint, Ezra understood and knew that he was dependent upon a God of mercy, a God of grace, and a God that had chosen the people before the foundation of the world. And he believed that, and he's bringing it up in his prayer to Almighty God because he understood the absolute need for a substitute. And there in verse 15, it tells us, Ezra brings this up. He says, O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. My goodness, to see that God is righteous. Jesus Christ is the only man that ever kept all the law. And in so doing, he is great enough, powerful enough, a being of almightiness that he can impute that righteousness to Ezra. That he can impute that righteousness to me and to everyone that is his children 
Those who are yet unborn that will be his children and those who are born again that are his children and evidenced by it. He has the ability because of his greatness and his might and his power and his ability to keep the law and to lay down his life a ransom to impute that righteousness. It's the righteousness that Ezra bragged on. The Lord's righteousness. You are righteous. You are the only one that has a perfect standing with God. So Ezra had this, and it's based upon the revelation that God had given him that everybody that is ever saved realizes their desperate need of a substitute. I can't do it alone. I can't go. I can't approach God because of what has separated me from my God, and that is sin. In the... We read there in the book of Ezra, chapter 7 and verse 6, that Ezra was a ready scribe of the law of Moses. Now turn with me to chapter 7 and verse 11. Ezra, chapter 7 and verse 11, we have this understanding that Ezra knew the Bible. He knew much about it, no doubt, before he was saved. You know, I can say, I knew about God but I didn't know him. Big difference. To know about somebody and to know him. Here in the book of Ezra, chapter 7 and verse 11, now this is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandment of the Lord that far exceeds just what he knew about the Pentateuch, the law, it far exceeds. He knew that the word of God was in Joshua and Judges and throughout those historical books about Israel. That it was there, a temple was built in Jerusalem under Solomon the king. And it was there that God said he would meet his people in a permanent place. And where is that permanent place now? At the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the permanent place. The only place where God's people can meet. Now we meet together here to worship at his feet. Wherever God's people meet and where they are individually, whether they're in some hinterland somewhere else that we don't even know about, that God has brought his word to them and he's given them the new birth and they understand their position before God and that God's position before them, that he is the almighty savior, they meet at the feet of Christ. He is our true temple. And there in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 12, Artaxerxes king of the kings unto Ezra uh, the priest, a scribe of the law of God of heaven, perfect peace and at such time. He was a priest and a scribe of the God of heaven. He had been, no doubt, a good man as a Jew down in Babylon. If you weren't, you were taken out and disposed of. But when it came to his goodness before God, he had none. And that's why God came to him in this great manner of revelation of Jesus Christ. And finally, in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 21, we read these words, And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, do make a decree to all the treasures which are beyond the river, that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the God of heaven, shall require of you, it be done speedily. 
So we notice here Ezra's position. He was a scribe that was someone who understood God's word and was able to declare it clearly and distinctly to other people. And that was his job. That was his business. Ezra knew the word of God. And what was the message of the Old Testament? God will send a substitute. Every sacrifice, every offering that was offered there at the time of the tabernacle and the temple declared the absolute need of a substitute. That critter was only a picture. And that person who came put their hands upon that beast and God allowed that person to confess their sin over that critter and then the critter was taken and slain and burnt on an altar. I've mentioned many times I'm so thankful that we're not involved with that today. It's been taken care of and it ceased. It ceased in the death of the true sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah, would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 7 as Ezra, Isaiah was written many years before Ezra came on the scene. I am convinced that Ezra knew about and read the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah at one time was the same as it was to that man traveling out in the desert, that Ethiopian that stopped by some water And there was reading the scroll of Isaiah when Philip was sent to him. Some Philip came to Ezra. We don't know his name. We don't know when it was. But some Philip came to Ezra as he's struggling trying to understand God's word. I was thinking the other day as Rosalind was running around her daddy running around. I was asked one time to take him outside and let him play there when we were in Central Point. So uh, Nancy had something she needed to do. So I took him outside and I grabbed my Bible and I said, I'm going to read the book of 1 Corinthians and when I'm done, I will understand it. I still have trouble with it. And I know the Lord. But by simply reading it, we're not going to come to the conclusion of it. It takes the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here in the book of Isaiah chapter 7, just as that Ethiopian eunuch, is he speaking of himself or is he speaking of some other? And Philip began at the same place and preached unto him Jesus. Now Ezra, an understander of the word of God. Uh, Ezra, a ready scribe of God's word. Ezra, a faithful minister of God's word. Ezra, having these things revealed unto him, seek for me in the word. That's what God shared with him. He says here in the book of Ezra, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 7, and there in verse 14, these wonderful words that we look to. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Now what is this about? It's about a substitute. It's someone who is able to take care of the problem that has separated natural man from God, from the fall. There was such a fall. It was such a separation. Your sins and iniquities have separated you from God. And here we read in Isaiah chapter 7, and there in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. 
Behold, and this sign is an absolute inability to understand anything from a natural standpoint. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. That is absolutely impossible from a human standpoint. So we're dealing with that God I heard about this morning, the I am God, the all-powerful God, Jehovah God, this God. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Already identified several hundred years before the fact as just as if it is present tense. The Lord shall, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and I'm going to give him this name. This is the eternal name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the I am name of the Lord Jesus Christ and is brought out in the New Testament you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we get to the New Testament, we find the interpretation of that. I'm going to jump ahead for just a moment and say, that means God with us. The promise of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is going to be fulfilled in our sight. As we hear Ezra bringing these things up, he taught the word of God. And he was not stuck on Leviticus, even though the book of Leviticus, I read the other day, someone said, the book of Leviticus is the least read book by Christians. And I said, I know that. (laughs) But the gospel is there. But anyway, as we look at this, we find that Isaiah could have preached on this message and he said a substitute is coming. God has promised that. And it's going to be in a miraculous way, not in the normal way. Not in the common way. He illustrated this point a couple of times in the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah. He illustrated it takes the hand of God to do this. But this is a greater miracle than that. Because a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. As Ezra brings the problem before Almighty God, God has given him the solution before he can bring the problem, and that is, there is a substitute coming. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Let's just move a couple of chapters there in the book of Isaiah, and we find once again, there's a passage of scripture that Ezra could have brought to the people and may have, just as we do from time to time here in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born. I really appreciated hearing about that I am this morning. Because it is brought out as in present tense. It is just effectual and is effective to those people that lived in that day as it is today. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called... Now, I appreciate it a long time ago when I saw that there was no S at the end of the word name. It doesn't say his names are. His name is. His name is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That's his name. And we can find in every one of those names the description of the substitute that is coming. We look back up on him and say, there is Jesus Christ and his names are fulfilled in his very being. The promise of a coming, a savior. 
but Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, go back with me just a little bit. Excuse me. Go ahead with me a little bit to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. The book of Daniel. Now, Daniel was writing in Babylon. When they left Babylon, he was probably an elderly man. I don't know if Daniel and Ezra ever met. They could have. Ezra was in Babylon. Daniel was in Babylon. He was a place of high authority. And he writes a book that is much like Revelation. If you don't see Christ, you're going to be going astray. If you see him, it's pretty plain. But here in the book of Daniel, chapter 9 and verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression. That's what Ezra has been praying about. We got a transgression going on here. We got iniquity going on here, and I'm in the middle of it. I'm part of it. I am the part. I am the problem. He says to finish the transgression. Now, seventy weeks are from the going forth to build, go back to Jerusalem and build the city. There's going to be a seventy weeks carried out, measured out by Almighty God, to make an end of sins to make Daniel is writing about what Isaiah has been writing about all along and Jeremiah has been writing about all along and Moses wrote about all along there is no end of putting away sins with these sacrifices but there is a time coming when sin will be put away it goes on to say here to make reconciliation for iniquity to get things straightened up rightened again to make them right, because in ourselves we will never be reconciled to God. But in Christ we are reconciled to God. And it is in a present tense. He was reconciled to those believers, to Abel. He is reconciled to those down through time. And he's reconciled to his people today to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He has promised to do what he's always been doing. To bring in everlasting righteousness. The I am righteousness. The righteousness of Christ that has always been. Because he was never unrighteous. The only righteousness we as individuals have is righteousness imputed to us, given to us, put to our account. However you might want to term it. But it is Christ. That is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. Looking again at Daniel 9, 24, and bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Wow. That's all going to come as a result of the one who is able to take care of the problem that Ezra is praying about. We pray about the same problem today. Lord, I'm an man of unclean lips. I'm undone. And I live in a land of people with unclean lips. But you're God. Redemption is full and complete redemption. It's not part. Grace is full and complete grace. It's not part grace. Mercy is full and complete mercy. It's not part mercy. It's not dependent upon us. 
Redemption is complete redemption. That's why you can say there is therefore now no condemnation because you have been completely redeemed by God. You are not in jeopardy. You are on solid ground. This is the promise of God to his people because of the one who came to be the substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn with me back to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, once again, these words are all brought out in present tense. But it shares with us that Ezra knew about the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the Word of God. He was a ready scribe of the Word of God. And this is part of the Word of God that he had. This was written long before he was born. And no doubt it was carried there to Babylon by those priests who had it. And he knew these words. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He says there in verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men. It's not that he will be despised and rejected of men, or he has been despised. He is on a common, everyday basis. He is despised. And then it says in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs. These words to Ezra, there's a, there's a mighty one coming. His name is Emmanuel. He has been promised from the very beginning to be the substitute for his people. And he must, he must, God must come in the flesh. That's what Isaiah brought out. That's what Ezra believed. And that's what we know and believe. God must come in the flesh. He must represent God wholly and completely. God cannot be anything but holy. H-O-L-Y. And he must represent those in the human race that he represents well. He must represent them. He cannot give in. He cannot stop representing those he's going to represent. He's not going to fall away and get into the courtroom of, of God and say, well, I'm sorry, but I just couldn't represent some of those folks. He's going to represent everyone that was given to him in the uh, before the foundation of the world, whose names are written down in the Lamb's book of life, and he will represent them completely and get them off scot-free. Because he is the substitute that's going to bear our sin. Here it says there, He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. God had it all worked out, and we looked at him and says, Not so, Lord. I can hear Peter say, no, Lord, you're not going to do that. You don't have to do it for me. Peter didn't mean it that way, but humanly speaking, you don't have to do it for me because I'm not really that bad. Well, it goes on through this whole passage of Scripture. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Ezra understood that there was some sheep and there were never were goats at one time. He was oppressed. Verse Seven, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Verse eight, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? And verse nine, he had made his grave with the wicked. And verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And this is declared before he is ever born. Now, Let's move over to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. 
Matthew chapter 1. Ezra understood that there's a Messiah coming. And his name is Emmanuel, which is God with us. The God-man. Everybody has been revealed. It must be the God-man. And he's going to come in a very special way. He will not come as normal people come. He is going to come from a virgin. God will use a virgin so that he will not transpose or give the iniquity of Adam to him. And here in the book of Matthew chapter 1, we find these wonderful words that were given to his stepfather when he was preparing himself to put away, to put away this woman. He went to sleep and God gave him a revelation. It tells us here in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, the words of the, that were given to him, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now I don't know if, if uh, his stepfather had some other idea for a name. He wasn't one, didn't even want to be involved in it. Remember about Zacharias and calling that man John, his son John? <laughs> Nobody in the family has been named that. Well, you shall call his name Jesus. And this is why. There's a purpose in this. Because he is going to be the only one to fulfill his very name. My name is Norman. It means man from the north. I've never been to Scandinavia. I have yet to fulfill that part of my name. But this man is going to fulfill his name because his name means Savior. And it goes on to say, not just a Savior, but he's going to save his people from their sins. Ezra understood some of that. This Savior is going to come and take care of his people's sins. We have a substitute. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then, if you look with me in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, notice this verse with me. The substitute. Behold, this is going to fulfill the words of the Lord. Verse 22, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You know, Ezra understood that name in its original language, Hebrew. I'm thankful for us who only knew some English and a little spattering, spattering of and English poorly and a little spattering of Spanish that they give us the definition here for us. It says, and his name shall be, he shall be called his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. You know, I never find another place in all the New Testament that he was called that by anybody except God. You're the God man. You're my son. You've taken upon yourself flesh for the suffering of death. And then it tells us in Luke chapter 2. Would you join me in Luke chapter 2? As we think about the substitute that Ezra so desperately spoke about and needed. He was the one that needed the substitute. The book of Luke chapter 2. In the book of Luke chapter 2, 
we have the record of the birth of the Lord Jesus, and we'll deal more with that in our next Sunday's lesson message. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, would you look there with me as we travel from the scene in Bethlehem that was prophesied and fulfilled just as it was declared. In Bethlehem he'd be born. And when he would be born was prophesied in the Old Testament. Where he would be born, who he would be born of, and what he would be doing here. All prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53, that's why I came. That's why he's here. And here in the book of Luke, the scene travels from Bethlehem out into a field where a bunch of shepherds are keeping their sheep. Now the message that the angels brought to those shepherds is so delightful. Ezra can rejoice in it. You and I can rejoice in it. And that is found in Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. The scriptures share this. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now there's a lot of spiritual implication about that too. Oh, God's people, sheep being guarded by God's people. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now I made a statement one time. That here, the angel of the Lord is truly the messenger of the covenant. How he could be in a manger and out here at the same time is that's God. He doesn't leave much of the message of the gospel to anybody but God and his appointed people. So, the angel of the Lord spoke unto them. And he said, They were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. And to all of us, good tidings is the gospel. That's what that word means. It's the gospel. It's good tidings. Good tidings of great joy. That Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. God's people in the new birth go on their way rejoicing. And it says, which shall be to all people. All of his people are going to appreciate this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now look at this. A Savior. That's who Ezra preached about. And that's who he looked forward to. A Savior. We need a Savior. We... He declared there, metaphorically, he said, our sin is over our head. I remember one time being in a boat, a little dinghy, with two brother-in-laws out on the Little Nestucca River, and we hung up, and that water came over the back of that boat and just took it away from us, and I'm in water over my head. I thought I was going to drown. That's the metaphor that Ezra is bringing there. Our iniquities are over our head. We're drowning now. Besides that, we're drowning. We're drowned. And then a Savior says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is the Messiah. Christ, the Lord. The Messiah. Son of God, the everlasting one, the promised one, the I am one, this one, he's been born there. And this is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament summed up 
in one verse of scripture. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you know what? Ezra, in his great faith that God had given to him, could sit down and rest in this. A Savior. It's not up to me. A Savior. And he's the Messiah, the promised one. And beside that, he is God. So Ezra prays this great prayer by inspiration. God gave it to him. It brings up the problem. But Ezra already knew the solution. He already was acquainted with him. And that is this. I need a substitute. And the substitute was a savior in that day. Just like he is a savior here in our day. And he was born in Bethlehem as promised. And his name is Emmanuel. God with us. God the very God and man the very man. And God said there is one mediator between God and men and that is the man Christ Jesus. He's the only one that can represent the church. He has everything that God has an interest in, he has an interest in. And he has everything that we need and he has that fulfilled. And so he can bring the two together in his own perfect righteousness. And by that, he can give us the new birth and give us his righteousness. He is altogether lovely. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that even your Old Testament ministers knew something. They knew something. And that something was the person Christ Jesus. They prayed, leaving us the telltale sign that they were acquainted with the Almighty God. They prayed knowing the need of a substitute. They knew that there must be someone to take care of this great problem of sin. We were ruined by the fall, and yet there has been a Savior given And his name is Christ the Lord. We ask, O God, you'd bless us with this continued knowledge of your greatness in salvation and that you save great sinners. We're thankful, Lord, for this day you've given us that once again we can fellowship together and once again we can enjoy the goodness of God found in the person Christ Jesus on the behalf of all those that were given to him before the foundation of the world. We ask, Lord, that we might go forth this day realizing again how blessed we are to have this Savior that was declared. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we say, as Mike says, be free. God bless you. Hi, Betty. Hi, Joe. Good to see you. Sorry, I was tuned in late, but my computer was not cooperating. I was having a hard time with it, and I just kept tinkering with it. And I don't know exactly what I did, but I did something that finally got through. (laughs) That's great. Good to see you.
Yeah, it's happened before. <laughs> it's happened with me. <laughs> there are hammers. I'm frustrated, though, let me tell you. I don't know anything about this stuff, but I'm doing it. Well, it's good to see everyone there. Brandy, good to see you. Craig? Greg, how are you? Good, good. How's your daughter? She's right here. You didn't say hi. <laughs> I won't. I, never. I'll ask her if she knows he said it, though. She's doing pretty good. She's feeling way better. Good, good, good. Glad to hear that. Dan? Good to see you, Zora. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. Nancy's going to come up and say hello. Did you get some snow up at your place, Dan? Just the tiniest little skiff. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I just had a just a little bit on the windshield when I left there, and it snowed up here a little bit, but it stopped. Powder sugar is all we got. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to see you all. Hi. Hi. But today she decided to stay in here for about half of the sermon. Was she a, did you guys, was it a bother to you? Another bother. Okay, good. good. Glad to hear it. You've got quite a project there behind you, Lisa. Oh, yeah, I'm working on pens. On what? Pens. Oh, oh, good for you. Oh. Well, Mike came to say howdy. Okay. Hello. Good to see y'all. Well, until we meet again. All right. Okay. Love you. Love you. Just for a brief moment. I saw you when you came on. I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> All right. Well, you take okay, care till we meet again. You too. Off to the races, huh? <laughs> Would you like to take a couple of these home with you? Oh, sure. Let me get a little bag. Mm-hmm. You be careful.
enjoyed your trip to the coast? It was wonderful. Was it? Weather was good? Weather was good. It rained some. But a good time at the coast. Is that okay? Yeah. So did you do anything exciting? We read. <laughs> we went to a secondhand store. Kind of stuff we like to do. Oh, uh, Nancy found a couple items. What did she like to find? Oh, knickknacks. And like my wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, have a good evening or afternoon. Okay, we'll see you next week. Take care. How's that uh, piano book working? Okay, good. Is there is there more to do? Yes. Okay. 